I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Ezra. This morning we'll be looking at Ezra chapter 7. Every born-again child in this room is capable of doing a great work for God. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to leave this earth knowing you had done a great work for the kingdom of God? Now, you may look at yourself and think, you know what, I don't have any special skills or any special knowledge. I'm... I'm not the kind of person who could really do something significant for the Lord, for His kingdom. But I need you to understand something today. It's not your skills. It's not your knowledge that enables you to do a great work for God. It's your God that enables you to do a great work for God. You see, God can use anyone to do a great work for His kingdom and His glory. The question you and I have to ask is this. What kind of person does God normally use to do great things for His kingdom and His glory? Because if you look in Scripture, there there is a a pattern. You you can see people that God used greatly, and, and they do have some things in common. Ezra chapter 7 When we come to this passage, about 57 years have passed since Ezra 6. We looked at Ezra chapter 6 last week and we saw the decree of King Darius, uh, how he allowed the temple to, you know, he allowed the people to go back to building the temple and the work was finally finished and they celebrated the Passover. Well, when we come to chapter 7, about 57 years have passed. Now we are finally introduced to the person for whom this book is named, Ezra. The people are now back in Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt. And now Ezra comes along. And Ezra's role is to establish and solidify the people in the worship and service of God according to the Scripture. I'll say that again. Ezra's role is really to establish and solidify the people in the worship and service of God according to the Scripture. And as we're going to see in this chapter, Ezra is used for God in a mighty way. This chapter not only introduces us to Ezra, it it records his journey to, to Jerusalem And it demonstrates how the hand of God was on him to do a great thing. Please stand and let's read the scripture together this morning. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Seraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marioth, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. 
He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem, in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king, some of the people of Israel, some of the priests and the Levites, the singers and the gatekeepers, and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. For the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave to Ezra the priest, the scribe, a man learned in matters of commandments of the Lord and his statutes for Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Peace. Now I make a decree that any one of the people of Israel or their priests or Levites in my kingdom who freely offers to go to Jerusalem may go with you. For you are sent by the king and his seven counselors to make inquiries about Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of your God which is in your hand. And also to carry the silver and gold that the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel whose dwelling is in Jerusalem with all the silver and gold that you shall find in the whole province of Babylonia, and with the free will offerings of the people and the priests, vow willingly for the house of their God that is in Jerusalem. With this money then, you shall with all diligence buy bulls, rams, and lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and you shall offer them on the altar of the house of your God that is in Jerusalem. Whatever seems good to you and your brothers to do with the rest of the silver and gold, you may do according to the will of your God. The vessels that have been given you for the service of the house of your God, you shall deliver before the God of Jerusalem. And whatever else is required for the house of your God, which it falls for you to provide, you may provide it out of the king's treasury. And I... Artaxerxes the king, make a decree to all the treasurers in the province beyond the river. Whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, requires of you, let it be done with all diligence. Up to a hundred talents of silver, a hundred cores of wheat, a hundred baths of wine, a hundred baths of oil, and salt without prescribing how much. Whatever is decreed by the God of heaven, let it be done in full for the house of the God of heaven lest his wrath be against the realm of the king and his sons. We also notify you that it shall not be lawful to impose tribute, custom, or toll on any one of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the doorkeepers, the temple servants, or other servants of this house of God. And you, Ezra, according to the wisdom of your God that is in your hand, appoint magistrates and judges who may be judges of all the people in the province beyond the river, all such as know the laws of your God. Those who do not know them you shall teach. Whoever will not obey the law of your God and the law of the king, let judgment be strictly executed on him, whether for death or for banishment or for confiscation of his goods or for imprisonment. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing into this the heart of the king 
to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem, and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty officers. I took courage, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. And I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. Please be seated. There's something I want to point out to you that you may have noticed as we read this chapter. Ezra is a man of the Word. Ezra was a man of the Scriptures. You'll see in verse 6, it says he was a man skilled in the law of Moses. You see in verse 10, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and teach it. You see in verse 11, he was a man learned in matters of the commandments. Verse 12, he was a scribe of the law of the God of heaven. Again in verse 14, it mentions the law of your God. Again in verse 21, he was called a scribe of the law of God. Are you getting the picture? Ezra was a man of the Word. Ezra was a man who loved the Word, who knew the Word, who walked according to the Word. What I want to show you this morning is there's a connection between the fact that he was a man of the Word and he was a man greatly used by God. That's not a coincidence. There's a correlation between the two. Being a man of the Word and being used by God to do a great work. Here's the, the, the main idea I, I want to try to get across to you this morning. Great accomplishments in the work of God require a great commitment to the Word of God. You catch that? Great accomplishments in the work of God require a great commitment to the Word of God. Now the three observations I want to make from this chapter this morning that I hope to help you see this message. Here's the first one. We see in verses 1-10 through 10 a commitment to God's Word. A commitment to God's Word. The first thing you may have noticed, this chapter actually begins with a, with a genealogy. You're given Ezra's ancestry. Now, it traces his ancestry all the way back to Aaron. Who you remember, Aaron was the brother of Moses, the first high priest of Israel. Now the question is, why does the author of this book trace Ezra's ancestry all the way back to Aaron? Here's why. All priests in Israel had to be descendants of Aaron. You understand? Everyone who, who could legitimately serve as a priest in Israel had to be descendants of, of Aaron. So if Ezra is going to be the legitimate spiritual leader of the people, then we have to have evidence that he is descended from Aaron. And so the author provides us with the evidence so we can know that Ezra genuinely is a priest of the Most High God. Something else important to notice is what it says in verse 6. It says, The hand of the Lord his God was upon him. So here is a man legitimately in the line of the priest to serve as the spiritual leader of the people, a man whose God hand is upon. And the next thing that we see is that he had the favor of the king. Remember, the Israelites had been in bondage for 70 years. They were taken to Babylonia by 
King Nebuchadnezzar. During that time, the king of Babylon fell. The king of the Medes and the Persians was now the great power. It is Cyrus of the Medes and the Persians who allowed the Israelites to begin to come back to Jerusalem, to begin to rebuild. So now that the people have begun to come back, the king now, as we come to Ezra chapter 7, is Artaxerxes. And what we see is, Ezra is sent back by Artaxerxes to establish the worship of the people. In other words, Ezra has the king's favor. Ezra has the blessing of the king. Why? How, how did he get the blessing of the king? Because God's hand was on him. God moved upon the heart of the king to bless Ezra and to help him and support him. But the question is, why? Why was God's hand on the king to bless and to help Ezra? To send him to Jerusalem. In verses 7-9, through nine, what you see is the hand of God on Ezra so that Artaxerxes would send him along with the Levites and the priests and the gatekeepers, all the people who worked in the temple. Right? King Artaxerxes sent them all back to Jerusalem. Back to work. To reestablish worship. And again, you see why at the end of verse 9. Because the hand of God was upon him. So here's just, just let's get, all, get this in your head, okay? The favor of King Artaxerxes, his blessing is on Ezra. So he sends Ezra back to Jerusalem along with all the people who work in the temple so that they can go back and reestablish worship in the temple in Jerusalem. How did that happen? How did they pull that off? Well, the hand of God was on Ezra. God blessed Ezra. How? By making King Artaxerxes favorable to him. You with me? God worked in the heart of King Artaxerxes so that Artaxerxes would bless and help Ezra. Now here's a question. Why would God put His hand on a man like Ezra? Why would He choose a man like Ezra to do such a good work to go back and reestablish worship? Verse 10 tells us why. Look at it. Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach His statutes and rules in Israel. You see it? Why was God's hand on Ezra? Because Ezra was a man who had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it to the people of God. What does this set his heart? What does it mean? It means he had a resolve that came from the very core of his being, from the heart of who he was, he genuinely had a determination, a commitment to do these three things. To study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. Now let's look at those for just a minute. What does it mean to study the law of the Lord or the Word of God? It means to carefully search it out. In other words, he was determined to understand what God is saying. 
You need to make sure you get this. When you read the Scripture, God is saying something. The Scripture is not just something God said once upon a time. The Scripture is God still speaking. Are you with me? God is speaking through the Scripture just as much now as He was when it was first written. It is just as much God's Word today as it was when it was first written. To study the Word is to seek to understand what is it exactly that God is saying. It is seeking to know the mind of God and the heart of God and the will of God as it is revealed to us in the Bible. You want to know what God's will is? You want to know what God wants for you or what God's desire for you is? You want to know what God's heart is for? What matters to God? What He, what he cares about? You want to know the mind of God? What He thinks? His perspective? You go to the Bible. Here's where you find it. To study the Word of God is to go and search out to, to understand the heart and the mind and the will of God. It is the careful examination of the Scripture for the purpose of gaining a knowledge and understanding of what God is saying to us as His people. This was Ezra's determination was to study. His heart was determined to study. Also to do it. Just simply means to obey. James chapter 1, verse 22. Anybody know what it says? Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. See, this was, this was Ezra. He was determined not just to understand what the Bible said, but to actually do what the Bible said. Now you listen to what I'm fixing to tell you. When you come to the place that you finally understand what it is that God is saying in the Scripture, you come to the Bible and you search it out and you study it, and God reveals to you what He's saying, you finally understand the heart, the mind, the will of God. At that point, obligation is placed on you to do what God said. God doesn't make suggestions. God doesn't give advice. He gives mandates. He gives commands. So when we come to understand the Bible, our responsibility then is to conform the way we think and believe so that we think and believe what Scriptures say is right. Our responsibility is to conform our behavior so that we live according to what the Bible says is right. And that was Ezra's determination. He said, look, I don't want to just know what it says. I don't want to conform myself to it. I want to do it. And then he wants to teach it. To instruct. To cause others to learn. He wants others to know what he has learned. So that they too can begin to do what God says. And look what he says in verse 10. He wants to teach his statutes and rules. What is God's statutes and rules? Okay, statutes and rules are what God wants them to know and how He wants them to live. What God wants them to know and how He wants them to live. Ezra was determined to know for himself what God wanted him to know and how God wanted him to live. He was determined to actually do that 
And then he was determined to communicate that same information to the Israelites, the people of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. All of us. We don't all have the gift of teaching. Not everybody has been given the gift to teach the Bible. But, all of us have the ability to pass along what we're learning to someone else. All of us do. All of us have the ability to tell somebody else what somebody has told us. It doesn't have to be in a formal setting like a classroom. Let me give an example. I just explained to you what it means to study. You could easily go tell somebody else what I just explained to you. It's to search the Scripture so that you can understand what God is saying. You can know what His heart, His mind, and His will is. I explained that to you, and if you were paying attention at all, especially if you were taking notes, which you should be, you could explain that to somebody else. Listen, all of us should be seeking to pass on the things that God is teaching us with somebody else. You could do this over coffee. Just talking about the things that you're learning at church through the sermons. The things you're learning in your own quiet time as you read and study the Bible each day. The things you're learning in Sunday school. Uh, when you carpool with somebody to work or on the way to the grocery store, you could share with them the things you're learning around the dinner table at night. You can talk with your family uh, about the things God is teaching you. When you go home for lunch today, you can have a conversation uh, about what you learned in the message this morning. Listen, all of us can do that. Why was God's hand upon Ezra? Because Ezra was fully committed to the Word of God. He sought to know God, he sought to obey God, and he sought to teach other people to do the same thing. And it was because of that that God was able to use him greatly. Now, the second observation I want you to notice is this, a passion for the work of God. The first thing we saw is Ezra had a commitment to the Word of God. Then the next thing we see is a passion for the work of God. And this is a progression. In other words, one must come before the other. The, the, the commitment to the Word of God needs to come before the passion for the work of God. And I'll help you to understand why. Verses 11 through 26. What we see is, Ezra is now going to journey to Jerusalem. He's not going to make a name for himself. No, 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 no. That's not his mission. The letter given to him by King Artaxerxes tells us what Ezra's mission was. In verses 12 through 26, we have a copy of the letter that, God, that Artaxerxes gave to Ezra. And this letter is telling Ezra what to do when he goes to Jerusalem. In other words, this is Ezra's mission. And what's clear in these verses is this. Ezra's mission is to go back to Jerusalem to establish the worship of God in the land of God's people. He is to go back and establish proper worship 
in Judah and in the capital city of Jerusalem in the newly rebuilt temple. Now, I'm going to walk quickly through verses 12 through 26 so we can kind of see what Ezra's mission was. In verses 11 and 12, we see that Ezra is the one sent back to Jerusalem to do this because he is a priest who is an expert in the law of God. In verse 13, we see that the priests and the Levites and the temple workers are sent with him. Why? Because they're necessary to reestablish the worship of God in the temple. They're the ones who carry out the work. Next, in verses 15 and 16, you see the king sent generous offerings to bring to the house of God. Verse 17, sacrifices were sent back. All this for worship. In other words, money was sent back to provide the things needed for worship. Animals were sent back to provide the sacrifices that God's Word prescribed for worship. Verse 19, the vessels, the, the, the instruments and the, you know, the different bowls and cups and incense burners and all those things, those things were sent back to be used in worship. You see that in verse 19. In verses 20 through 23, what we see is the king promises to provide whatever else is needed for the temple so that worship can take place. Verse 25, Ezra is told to appoint judges to do what? To operate according to the law of God. Verse 25, the second part, they're to teach the law of God. Verse 26, they're to punish those who don't obey the law. What's the point? Ezra's mission is to reestablish people as the people of God through worship and obedience to the law of God. Are you with me? That's why he's sent back. The temple has been rebuilt. But now the people need to be rebuilt as they once again become the distinct people of God through worship and obedience. That's Ezra's mission. Nehemiah is the one sent back to rebuild the city. Remember? Rebuild the walls. Ezra's the one is sent back to rebuild the people spiritually. This is his purpose, to reestablish worship. Listen, everything that Ezra was going to Jerusalem to accomplish, all of it revolved around worshiping the true and living God. Can I tell you something? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I want you to stop and think about this for a minute. What is the ultimate goal for any great work of God? I told you, we all have the ability to do a great work of God individually. And as a church, even though we're a small church, we have the ability to do a great work for God. What is the ultimate goal of every great work of God? Worship. It's that God would be honored. That God would be blessed and magnified and praised. Now some of you are thinking, I understand a great work for God should be about God's glory, but what about us? What about our good? What about the good of people? 
Listen, God's highest glory is your greatest good. You understand? The greatest good I can do for you is to help you to come to know God and worship Him as you should. Because that's when your life is going to be the most blessed. That's when you're going to experience the peace and joy and fulfillment. You're going to have the life that God intended you to have. You understand what I'm saying? For us to do a great work of, for God is to ultimately, with the goal that people would worship Him and that you would worship Him is the greatest possible thing you could do for your own good. But here's the thing I need you to catch. You'll never accomplish great things for God if your passion is to make a name for yourself. Never. Ezra was able to accomplish great things for God because his commitment to the Word of God was combined with a passion for the work of God. You don't see anything in Ezra's mission that says something about making Ezra somebody special. You don't see anything about Ezra making a name for himself or him becoming famous. No, no, no. It's all about getting people to worship God, not Ezra. Are you with me? The mission and the work focused on what they were doing for God, not what they were doing for Ezra. Here's what I need you to get. If we're going to do a great work for God, first and foremost, we have to remember we do that for God. We do that to make a name for God, not to make a name for ourselves. We can't do a great work for God if our concern is making people think that we're something. Somebody has said about preachers, You can't preach and make people think that God is wonderful and you're wonderful at the same time. If you're busy making people think how wonderful you are, then you're not making God look wonderful. Listen, my job in preaching is to magnify God, not myself. Are we going to do something great for God? It starts with a commitment to God's Word. But we must have a passion for the work of God, which is for God's glory. It's for His honor. It's that His name and His kingdom would be advanced. It's about teaching the next generation the Word and the ways of God. It's about working with younger couples to help them have a Christ-centered marriage and home life. All of the good things we do, ministering to people through clothing and, and providing for food for the hungry, all of those kind of things, we do it so that we can lead people to know and worship God. If we start at the beginning, being fully committed to the Word of God, to know it, to do it, to teach it, it stands to reason that our desire then is to do God's work. Now here's the third thing I want you to see. We begin with a commitment to the Word of God, then we see a passion for the work of God. Now here's the last part, here's where it all comes together a reliance on the hand of God. A reliance on the hand of God. We see this in verses 27 and 28. Ultimately, every great work for God is done by God. I want to say that again. Ultimately, every great work that is done for God 
is also done by God. What does that mean? When we do a great work for God, we are merely vessels that God uses to do His work. I remember when I first felt God was calling me to preach. At the time, I was full-time doing church music and youth ministry. And I remember thinking one day, what, what is my goal really? I mean, what, what am I supposed to do as a preacher? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And a, an analogy kind of came to my mind. And, and I'm not one who goes around saying, God spoke to me. But I, I can't help but believe God was trying to give me something I could understand. And I, the idea came to me, okay, as a preacher, I'm like a tea pitcher. My job is to be filled up with God so that God can then pick me up and pour me out to others. Now let me ask you a question. If the tea is good, does the pitcher get any credit? Do this. No. If the tea is quality, really good, the pitcher didn't have anything to do with that. It's just a tool used to serve it. Listen, if what I dish out to you from the pulpit is good, I don't get credit for that because I, I didn't come up with it. I didn't write the book. I'm just serving it up. You see what I'm saying? Any great work done for God is actually done by God. He's responsible for it. We're just tea pictures. We're just the vessels God uses to do the work. Now I want you to notice... Verse 27, look what it says. Ezra says this, Blessed be the Lord God. What's he doing? He's giving God credit for this great work. Verse 27, why is he giving God credit? Verse 27, because it is God who has put it into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord. It is God who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before the officers. You see that? Ezra saying, it is God who put it into the heart of the king to get this mission done. It is God who granted me favor with the king. It is God, verse 28, who gave Ezra courage to do the work. Listen, ultimately, all that took place, all of the the wonderful work of God's place is because the hand of God was upon Ezra. You see it in verse 28? The hand of the Lord my God was on me. Go back to verse 9. The good hand of his God was on him. Go back to verse 6. The hand of the Lord his God was on him. You get the message? The hand of God was on Ezra and that's how this work got done. What do we need if we are to do a great work for God? We need God. Bottom line. We need God. We'll say, don't we need wisdom? Yeah, but where's that going to come from? It's going to come from God. Yeah, but we need strength. We need perseverance. 
Yeah, but where's that going to come from? Right? We need instruction. Well, yeah, but where's that going to come from? If we're going to do a great work for God, what we need more than anything is what Ezra had. We need the good hand of our God upon us. If we're going to reach people, if we're going to disciple people, if we're going to help people, if we're going to make any headway in a depraved society, we need the good hand of God upon us. Now, I want to remind you of something I said at the beginning. Why was the good hand of God upon Ezra? Because Ezra was committed to the Word of God. Ezra was committed to the Word of God and he was committed to do his work for the glory of God. I need you to make a, make a connection here. I need you to connect the dots. A true commitment to God involves a commitment to the Bible. A true commitment to God involves a commitment. So I say, well, I, people say, well, I, I love God. I just don't care much for the Bible. Baloney. Baloney. You can't love God and not care anything about His Word. Why? Because this is where you find Him. If you're truly committed to knowing God's Word, then you will know God. I have sometimes boiled down my desire in life. What is my passion? What do I think I'm here for? What's my why? Everybody should have a why. Why am I here? What's my reason? Here's mine. My purpose is to help people know and love God's Word so that they can know and love God. Listen, when we're committed to knowing the Word of God, that's when we begin to love God. That's when we begin to have a desire to obey God. And when we know the Word of God, we begin to obey the Word of God, then the hand of God begins to be upon us. And we become the kind of people that can do a great thing for God. We become the kind of vessels God can use to do a good thing. Listen, great accomplishments in God's work require a great commitment to God's Word. The people who will make the greatest impact in this world for Christ will be those who are fully committed to God's Word. So we need to do what Ezra did. We need to set our hearts to know the Word of God, to do it, and to teach it. Let's pray.